Hey guys, welcome to Because I Said So, the podcast where we discuss age and how it affects how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others, and the conversations that we have because of it. Thank you for listening, and please leave a review to support the podcast. Thank you. We have a very special guest today. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Issa Cruz. I am a silly gay poet, a junior at Hume Fogg, um, dabbler in many little things. Yeah. Just kind of existing and moving through the world. Well, I mean, already it's like the way that you speak is just so eloquent and beautiful. It's like you can definitely tell that you're a writer and a poet. Um, and so I think, firstly, I want to jump into identity and you've already talked a little bit about being queer um, just in that introduction. And so I wanted to ask also being multiracial, how have you built like such a robust sense of self, um, especially in the midst of a world that seems to kind of push back given a history of oppression of both of those things um, on just your mere existence? Um, like during the holidays, I feel especially like connected to my Puerto Ricanness because at Thanksgiving, like we eat pernil, which is like this pork shoulder. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so good. And so like food is a connection to culture for me and kind of lets me retain this joy of being who I am despite all the context behind mm. it and like despite continuing neo-colonialism yeah um and continuing to love the people in those communities around me and push back against any anger through just like existing is very powerful for me yeah and i mean i think that it's it's interesting because we see a lot of conversation, I think, around um, different races as we should, but I feel like Puerto Rican is not something that you hear as much about. And so I think that, like, can you talk a little bit about how that is for you? Because I think that it's almost like a minority within a minority there. And so what do you feel like that's like for you to kind of build into such a, like, it's relatively small community. And how has that been for you? So I think I know like two other Puerto Rican families in the entire city of Nashville. Um, But I think for me being multiracial, it's interesting because I cross the color line. Like I very easily pass as white and people are like, oh my gosh, I love your tan. And I'm like, it's not a tan, (laughs) but thank you, I guess. Um, And so it's, it's interesting having to like reckon with the privilege I'm afforded in certain situations. Like, in the winter, I am more white passing than in the summer. In the summer, I get the oppression. And so it's, like, seasonal (laughs) identity. It's really weird. It's like, what's happening here? But um, being part of such, like, a small group of people, it has, like, family is very important. Like, in Latin American culture in general. But, like, my abuela lives two doors down. Um. Mm -hmm as is the Latin American way, keep your family close, but 
like her like teaching me to make Puerto Rican dishes and um one of the other Puerto Rican individuals in Nashville was my fourth grade art teacher and so we used to go over to her house and make pasteles which are like these banana leaf wrapped things um that are so good and i think educating myself about the history of puerto rico is like okay yeah this is real and i find that a lot of the time it's it's interesting where puerto rico is politically as a part of like the latin american community because often the latin american experience in the u.s is the immigrant experience but when you're from you're from puerto rico or your family is then it's like you're just getting screwed over you're technically an american citizen from birth there's no like sort of national identity that you could have cultivated or like going back home is staying within the same country yeah yeah no i mean there's so much to impact there. and i specifically like still ringing in my ears is kind of what you said about like the seasonal identity and i just think that that is such a unique experience and i mean there's so much that I could say about that, but I also want to get to another part of your identity, which is um, the queer identity. And I think one conversation that I've heard around this recently is kind of the idea of like labels and why do labels matter? And so I wanted to get your opinion on that. And do you feel that they matter? And if so, why? And uh, yeah, I'll have some follow-up questions on that too. So for me, like figuring out how I identified was very much like a very, internal like brink of existentialism struggle like am i this am i that like there's so many facets to identity in so many ways that we have like pinpointed specific experiences but it's all just like very much human infallible approaches to naming things it's like naming art like yeah um yeah so for a while I identified as queer and I still do just because of the expansiveness of the term like it encapsulates like the fluidity of the experience and how that might change over time but labels are also incredibly practical saying I'm a lesbian like men are like oh okay I'm like yeah so that but at the same time it's kind of hard like within a community like different labels like forming their own groups like i know like a lot of gay people who like participate actively in biracial because like oh you just haven't made up your mind oh you're just scared oh you're just like playing into compulsive heteronormativity but like it just sometimes that creates some sort of like factionalism that's just so unnecessary like among oppressed people like intergroup like struggle it's just like <laughs> guys we're all getting screwed over here yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and it's also in- interesting to me because you talked about like one the puerto rican identity and that's something that's concrete and solid like you're born with that you know that and then gender and also sexuality are both more fluid things kind of like you were talking about like there are things that you have to go on this self like self-searching journey and it's like they might change like you're it's there's so much exploration and fluidity there um and also I wanted to ask you about because I know that there's like ever expanding like more terms 
as well. And many that some people, I feel like if you're maybe not like in the community or among people that are like, you might not know what they mean. And so I wanted to get your opinion on that and kind of the different purposes that they serve. Cause I am fully on board with those. Cause like, I understand that they serve that purpose. Like it's a very like specific thing, but um, it's also like, who do you feel like they're for? Are they for the people? Or are they trying to be for the public? And if so, like, how can we bridge that gap? Because I don't know if the people that it's like the identity is going. Yeah, you know, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. So I think there's a very fine balance between like owning a label or like a symbol and then letting that be also in the public domain and being able to be understood by the public in especially like in liberal circles like we come up with so many terms and like we nitpick um oh my god it's poc it's not black but like that's just guys it's it's limiting and a little elitist on like how knowledgeable and connected you are to a community so it, it can be really isolating for someone like who does not have that much experience i think it is valuable to have those labels but also um as like the queer community like as a place of improvement needs to perhaps like withhold judgment um and realize where different people are coming from and like obviously like if you use the f slur like that's not okay like you should know that like there's differences in intentionality but often it's just ignorance and like it's just an opportunity for education is not like you need to gatekeep like that's not your job here it's this is a community for the people and it's 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 grounded in love exactly yeah that's what it's about so yeah no i i completely agree and i also wanted to ask about like with your own coming out process i feel like the stereotype sometimes is that um maybe it's like Latin American families or like Hispanic families are like against in some way. Like, I don't know. I've heard that from my friends that are that way or tend to be like more traditional or um, conservative in some ways about sexuality. And so I wanted to ask in your experience, how was coming out um, with your family? And again, I'm not trying to generalize. It's just, I acknowledge that that's a stereotype. Oh no. Yeah. I've seen it too. And my coming out experience was unique with my family because I did not come out. I was outed. My parents um, looked through my phone and were like, oh, <laughs> and we were in Europe at the time. And when they found out, it was like the day before we were heading home, like on a seven hour plane flight. Oh, so it's like right next to them. Like, great, great. <laughs> For seven no, hours. I'm sitting next to my father, who is a Catholic professor. <laughs> like, man grew up catholic teaches theology and he proceeds to write me like this five page letter i don't remember it i blocked it out it was i threw it in an airport trash bin i was mad um but i think my father was more wary of it but also like my aunt is gay like on the puerto rican side and so i feel like the Puerto Rican side of the family had kind of like already been through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was nice to kind of have that gateway, but like it has been an ongoing process with my dad to like have him be more accepting. Um, so yeah, 
um it was always very intense with them because like i was also just like a secretive kid um and openness about this just felt odd also like my parents are both like very religious not catholic my dad technically is catholic but we like go to an episcopal church um but like the puritanical like purity culture is very much there and so matters of sexuality were not like talked about whatsoever and so even just like regardless of like the queer community like it just was not a thing and so that was just awkward yeah no it is it is hard because it's like i um some of my family is like church of christ and some of them are episcopal and so it's like interesting because i've seen like different sides and different people like some are very open and very much are like talking about sexuality and some of them are very much like again kind of stuck in the purity culture and sometimes it doesn't even it's not even purity culture it's just like we don't talk about it <laughs> like we just it's like oh, yeah it's not even like here get a chastity belt it's like we're gonna not talk about this I think the first time I heard about sex I was like 10 and my mom was like you know when when a, when two parents really love each other they ask god for a child and I was like how does that work how does that work yeah no I didn't I did not have to face that. I did not have to face that. (laughs) But, oh, Lord. Yeah, no, that I can only imagine. And I feel like that, like, it also must be hard because it's like, I mean, I have never met your parents, but I'm assuming that they love you. Um, And so it's like, it's hard to, like, have that section of you're like, okay, but, like, this is a big part of me. So, like, can you? But I also feel like parents that maybe wouldn't, otherwise support the lgbtq plus community tend to sometimes have that growth when it's their own child because it humanizes it i think um like my parents are both democrats and Hmm. but like it has definitely been like a learning curve for them um and like my brother doesn't know what gay people are and that that makes me very very bad he's nine years old like <laughs> do you think that you're gonna have to be the old enough to like and has like the come to jesus moment with him about like this is because it's such a like i it feels so weird to me that even being like nine in today's world that you wouldn't know about that like that is just such like an it's such evidence of like purity culture but also just like what is going on <laughs> yeah it's weird because like i'm his older sister and we're pretty tight and it's like huh but like my parents won't let me tell him what gay people are they want to do it on their own terms something about psychosexual development i'm like that was created by freud who also thought of the oedipus complex so maybe this maybe no also like did a lot of cocaine like he was he was up to stuff you know he was up to stuff (laughs) and so i also wanted to ask you kind of about like the importance of fluidity in your identity and kind of allowing yourself to like know and also discover different parts of yourself so the fluidity comes across more like with my gender identity and expression like for me um being female is very much grounded in me being gay like that is a way in which i connect to womanhood but i embody both like very much masculine and feminine energy and express that like in my expression like my hair is bust i dress like a 10 year old boy half the time but um 
it's it's very liberating being able to like just feel how I want to present on a given day like maybe I want to wear a little flowery dress and like skip down the street or maybe I want to wear a suit and scream at some stupid people like I just do what I want and it's very it's very nice um at the same time that does come with pushback and just weird experiences like the girls bathroom is the scariest place on earth for me because like the looks I will get like also just like the girls bathroom is such an interesting anthropological phenomenon truly truly no there is so much you could write many a book on (laughs) phenomena in the girls bathroom (laughs) but like walking in and having my hair this short and looking so masculine it's just like even at Kim Pop, like such a liberal space. I get weird looks, and I'm like, guys, guys, I promise I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, no, I think God. it's, and it does kind of transition us into what I wanted to get into anyway. Of kind of like the activism of simply like existing in spaces that you, quote unquote, shouldn't. And um, it's it's just so interesting to me because it's I think that the hot topic again right now also is identity versus expression. Like you can identify as one thing and it doesn't have to be the way that you express yourself, but it almost feels like the current state that our society is in. And there's like, like I, there's, it's nuanced because it like, that's why there's gray areas because it's such a nuanced thing of like people. I think a lot of people come out of fear when they're like, no, 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 we need to have like designated this and this and this, and you need to tell us what you are and you need to like lay all your cards on the table. It's and that there's a lot of things wrong with it, but like you can see that it's rooted out of so much fear, which is sad. It's like you shouldn't have that. And that's a whole different topic of like, why do you have so much fear about what people's identities and expressions are? Um, but I wanted to kind of get your opinion on that, because obviously, like you said, that's something that you deal with. think existing in spaces that I shouldn't is very powerful and at times like with some support around you like usually I do it with other people like it's it's fun honestly like I love walking into my church with my buzzed little head and just walking around and existing and knowing that some like middle-aged white lady is gonna stare at me um all funny and i'm like haha you're like you I get, get to be a too you're like a little like coy a little cheeky you're like what what about me do i make you uncomfortable what Just- about it what about it <laughs> questions comments concerns um but i think it's 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 hard sometimes like it takes a toll on one's mental health having to be like yes I I am a human and I deserve basic rights and I deserve to be here and I deserve like love um but for me it's just like fun it's like walking walking behind like a do not trespass sign and just being like wow this is this is fun yeah no I think it's like it's so beautiful to hear that because I think that it's also like I can see times when things could go very wrong when it's like the wrong person who's like insane because there are people that are batshit out there in the world but I think that the way that you carry yourself with such like just strength and confidence I think that it amplifies that in such a way that like 
I don't feel like anybody could fuck with you. <laughs> like, I just, like, I feel like, and that's not, like, I'm sure that things get to you. And like you said, it's hard. But, like, I think that it's so powerful that you're, like, so resilient in that. And that you're, like, no, because you know what? Because, like, why do I bother you? Like, un- let's unpack. Like, give me more. Give me more. Why Why is that making you uncomfortable? Why do you feel that I need to explain myself? Like, why are you afraid? Um, and I think that it's just, it's really powerful. And so kind of diving more into activism, what does activism entail in your opinion? Like, cause it's such a broad thing. Um, but I kind of just wanted to get your opening opinion on that. Yeah. To, to kind of pin it down, at least from the way I've experienced it, like activism is the like intentional coming to fruition of this better world and is very much based out of love um a fierce love albeit activism can be a very angry thing but it is not rage it is not hatred it is um out of want for something better for someone or something whether that be a specific minority group or the planet yeah do you feel that the term self-help book but for yeah yeah, I was going to ask, do you feel that the term activism is misused um, in media today or just kind of in conversational dialogue? Um, I think people, especially like in liberal spaces like Hume Fog, tend to be like, oh my goodness, I posted this thing on my story. Like, I'm an activist. But... Like, if you have a huge social media following, like, yes, that is influential and it's important, but that's not really, like, the Mm -hmm. work. And I think activism is framed as something, like, very, just like a bunch of angry, angry brown people or just angry people in general, like, blowing shit up, Um, whether literally or metaphorically, environmental terrorism is real. And it's kind of cool. I'm a pacifist. I'm a pacifist, I promise. But, um, yeah, I think activism carries a certain impact and commitment that, like, performative expressions of it do not. Yeah, I love what you said about commitment, because that's actually what I was kind of going to ask next. And also relating to social media is... My opinion is that I feel like our generation moves on very, very quickly from one thing to the next without much commitment. So that's, I feel like an issue. Um, but I also think it's it's because our generation tends to, with things moving so quickly, not only media cycles, but social media, we feel that if we're not posting the next thing, then people are going to think that we're against it. But there's always, you can have like a quiet commitment to one thing and just really be working at it. And so I wanted to ask your opinion about do you feel that our generation kind of moves through one thing to the next of our quote unquote activism without making much commitment? And if so, what do you think is the big issue with that? Yeah, so I would definitely agree. Like our generation just in general has a very short attention span and that is very much like engendered by our society in the media and the way that the world is structured to feed us information. Like if we committed ourselves to a topic and like ingested all the media associated with it it would be very heavy but i think what we what we tend to do as a generation is we pick specific cases of of a larger problem like 
Free Purvis Payne, Julius Jones, like these are this is part of a much larger fight. And while those small scale acts are so important, like you can't undervalue like personal smaller victories, um, there has to be a more long lasting change and that's why it's really just um temporary and just band-aids over bullet holes. Like you can't you can't do that. It's not gonna it's it's good for a time being. A petition signing can like be a greater show of support and I think you can never like undervalue small actions, but at at the same time it's it's a larger fight. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like a lot of times also, like you mentioned, like the short attention span, people just aren't willing to really sit down and like dive into something as much. And I understand that because sometimes I feel that way, too. It's like it's that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of learning. And it also takes a lot of like admitting that you're probably wrong about some things and having to like delve through, Okay, what does the other side think? Like, that's really uncomfortable because it's like you're dealing with a lot of often when it's a movement that's like an activist movement you're dealing with a lot of hatred and a lot of like anger on the other side and you're having to like kind of delve through that as well and it's a really uncomfortable thing but I also wanted to ask you how do you feel like our generation can work on this in order to kind of like facilitate deep change because we've seen like you said in these smaller issues like we can make change but it's not it's not moving the movement along problem or cause that you want to focus on is what because there's so much nuance just like in everything like the universe is expanding like quite literally it is getting larger as we speak and such is the nature of our little silly existences so if we take a side and only adjust like one one point of view it's just lacking lacking understanding like nuance not only for nuance's sake like oh I'll consider the other side but also like it's it's to better like get it you need to get it to care like the way social media posts approach activism is very much sensationalization mm. um like oh my gosh this is so horrible Let's show you these really graphic pictures and like make you feel something and that that works but it also needs to be met with like some logic because that that anger elicited or that sadness can only like sustain you for so long and then like on a more practical level i think committing to a few things because we are finite and we can't do everything despite how much we want to. Um, and like, this is a process for me too. And I have not got it all figured out. Yeah. But really seeing how you can stick with something or stick with like politicians. Like for me, phone banking was like a powerful way to get involved in activism because um politicians are the people who can like have that diversified portfolio of activism so to speak um 
And so, like, showing up every week or every month and just, like, calling people and educating them, like, helps you grow as a person. Like, oh, I believe this about this. Um, and the, the human connection and the actual, of course, like, voter change and change that comes along with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I yeah, love, I did some, no, I loved it. Um, I also did throne baking and I agree. It was a very profound experience in a way that I didn't expect it to be because, I mean, one of my next questions um, is kind of about how you can make change because, I mean, we've definitely seen it, I think, a lot more in recent years, how young people can make change. But that was one of them for me is like, okay, I can call these people and I can tell them not only like my opinion, but hear their opinion and tell them the candidate's opinion and help them to get registered to vote because I can't vote yet, but these people can. And so like, that's a huge thing. And you're really making that change. And I just, it was the conversations that you get to have. And it's really, I thought some of the coolest ones where it's somebody who's like 80 and it's like a 15 or 16 year old. And we're like, just chatting about what's important to us. And you're like, it was, it was just really, really amazing, but I will pass it off to you. And what other ways do you feel like young people can kind of get involved? Yeah. So there's, there's this framework and I don't remember what it's called, but it's like the different rules of advocacy. And so you have the very much like action focused people, um, in a metaphorical flood, they will be out in their rowboats. Um, and then you have like the visible people, um who kind of make things known they like sit outside the capitol for like two months justin jones did that got arrested um i don't know where that is justin jones has my heart oh me too i I did my little like italian mother kiss thing i was i adore him if you don't follow him on social media i would recommend it i had the honor of um canvassing for him one time when he was running for district five and it was like oh my goodness no it's like ah this guy ah! <laughs> yeah what a genuinely amazing person but um yeah and then also like lobbying and advocacy more on like working within the systems that are already there mm-hmm. um reaching out to your state senators writing them letters don't write the Republican ones because they probably won't change their minds. Um, Oopsie. (laughs) I mean, like, you can try, but honestly, like, after a while, like, trying to convince someone who denies, like, your right to exist is exhausting. So, like, you kind of have to put your energy into places that you feel is, like, not futile. Mm. And, yeah, just seeing where you fall within that within those like three broader categories of like within the system uh protests which are like so invigorating and fun like i i love losing my voice during a protest (laughs) yeah so good highly recommend and then like direct more more tangible action yeah and i feel like one that i mean in some ways might be like a little bit of like kind of visibility I would say, I would say like, it probably falls most in visibility and that I've, I know that you have taken part in this art and I think art as activism is such a unique and beautiful and cool like thing to like do. And so I wanted you to talk for a minute about art as activism and then we can get more into your philosophy on art because I also know that that is a really cool thing about you. Art as activism. 
like for historically marginalized groups, art is inherently activism. Uh, like take black poet Phyllis Wheatley, for example. Um, she was a former slave and her masters actually educated her and helped her get her poetry published. But it was used, uh, her work was used as leverage in the abolitionist movement because it's like, hey, these, these enslaved people are capable of producing beauty. It's very much to make art, it's to be human. Um, like that is a uniquely human thing. Art is imbued like within nature and other species, but that intentional bringing of beauty into the world yeah. is a human characteristic. And also like for the historically oppressed and silenced, um, just the mere use of voice is activism. Um, it doesn't even have to be about the issue. Like me writing poetry as a queer brown person or brown in the summer, um, white in the winter <laughs> person um, is, has power yeah. even if I'm just writing about flowers in the field. Yeah. Because it pushes back against these structures. Yeah. And then art like also can like directly touch on social change. Keith Haring, for example, like Crack is Whack, um, on his unfinished piece on AIDS, um in just like slam poetry. Uh, in general, like as a sphere I've been involved in is very much punchy and political yeah. um, and will probably like have you snapping and like want to scream at someone somewhere. <laughs> um, very much a call to action, like, wow, something it is both aggressive and like raw and yeah. also like connects to you and oh, makes you feel yeah. so much. And that is what that is what's what it's about yeah yeah it's I mean like you said like especially with slam poetry like getting to and because again it's like written poetry is amazing and beautiful in so many ways so I think that that is unique and that it really does it's like again the humanizing thing it's like you see somebody with their raw emotion and pain or anger or joy or whatever it is and it's just out there and it's raw and it's vulnerable and it's like God, that it's, it really will fire you up. Like it's, it's amazing. Um, but I also wanted to ask about your philosophy on art and kind of the significance that lies within the mundane. Cause I, again, like you said, even just with your identity, doing anything like using your voice and putting that out into the world is activism in and of itself. And so I wanted to ask a little bit about that and your approach kind of in there. So I'm going to wax philosophical for a minute here. Uh, but I I have always like found the mundane interesting because it's just so often unnoticed. Mm. And like this morning, um the the quality of the wind, like it wasn't like harsh, but it was like loud yet comforting and um soft but also strong and just like that's so tiny. That's literally just how the wind is blowing. But I think beauty as like the community of humanity like keeps us going and makes us realize that it isn't all dark out there and so for me like especially like within mental health because I've had my own struggles there like seeing these these tiny little things is like wow that that's 
it's crazy. And then um, imbuing significance into mundane things. Like a few months ago, I found um, a busted out like side view mirror of a car on the sidewalk and I called it a portal. And it's like one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yes, yes. But like it's the way we can make things beautiful even like if they normally wouldn't be considered that like gum on the sidewalk or really anything and I find that just very liberating to realize that beauty is not limited to like genre painting or like pretty landscapes yeah no I think it's it's also like the mundane has a piece of all of us in it you know, I think that it's something that connects to all of our stories. And when you're able to kind of like see that significance, you're also kind of able to see the significance in the people who it connects to as well, which is literally everyone in a lot of ways. And so I think that it's also like, it's, I feel like when, when you take the time to see those things, you're, it's just such like a cheeky reminder that like the world, like there's good in the world. Like you said, it's like when your mental health is in some way, like just down or fraud or whatever it is um it's just reminding yourself that like there are these like small micro things that are just there and existing and coexisting and it's it's I think a really really beautiful way and it's kind of when you look at the world I feel like often with writers like the world kind of becomes your prompt um and so it's just it's so it's it's really enriching and I I 100% agree and what does your art mean to you? Like, what what does it serve for you in helping you examine the world and kind of that interconnectedness? Yeah, so at first, art for me was like an outlet, like, or an escape, because I feel like I was a very emotionally repressed kid in middle school. And so just, like, being able to, like, put it all out on paper and, like, scream it into the void, so to speak. Um was powerful but since then it has become like a way of just putting joy and beauty out into the world not only for myself but for others um and like most of all it's just fun like any paper that like comes through my hands will be doodled on and i i think poetry is great when you write it alone and it's just kind of there but I, it really gains significance when it's shared in a community. And, like, photography, too. It's just a way of appreciating and loving and also, like, speaking to something greater. Um, kind of, like, getting outside of ourselves. Yet also, like, recognizing the self in how we perceive things. Yeah. And I I wanted to ask, you kind of touched on it there. How did you get involved in sharing your work? Because again, I know you said that you were kind of like repressed and it started as like this thing for kind of you, but how did you get to a point where you were like, I want to share this? So a lot of that was like internal work with like vulnerability and realizing that that is so powerful and like how interconnected we are like as humans and how many of the same experiences we share um and just like the realizing the power and others feeling seen and wanting to give that to them because i had wanted it for myself and so like that's such a lovely little thing 
that you can provide to someone. Just like a recognition, N not of like their exact personal experience, but something more universal. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it is, it's so beautiful. And it's also like you said, like that exercise and vulnerability of like sharing, like, this is what I think, this is what I see, this is me in a lot of ways. It's, it's just such a beautiful experience that can really only be found, I think, through art. Because it's, it's like this, it's, it's this unveiling of yourself in a way that I don't think we can do in any other way. Um, and so kind of closing out, I wanted to ask you your words of advice for people who are looking to change the world and shake the world, whether that's through art or activism or just whatever, but just a word of advice, because I think that that's something that you've begun and continued your journey on. And so I think that you have the credibility to speak on that a bit. love like behind it I am a very like aggressive person like Miss Hubbard and I went at it that was not that was not pretty but like we respected each other it was lovely um she's the lifetime wellness teacher at Hong Kong um for those who don't know but there is anger will just leave you empty like it burns everything that's past and sometimes like anger is and anger is warranted this world will make you angry but what's behind that is it bitterness or is it love like is it just like this very fierce care like for um what you hold dear like, I'm vegetarian, and I have to stop myself from, like, making, like, cow sounds while my family is, are <laughs> eating burgers. Um, but, like, I'm angry at the treatment, like, in CAFOs, like, centralized animal feeding operations. But it's my, like, silly little love for livestock that is, like, why I do that. And... It keeps you afloat because activism is exhausting. And so to my next point, like, take care of yourself. It's tiring work to change a world that is trying to say you or the people around you should not exist and do not deserve, like, love or whatever is being denied. But often it's just love because dignity is love. Like, these basic rights are love. It all comes back to that. So rest because in the end, rest is resistance because we are in a society that puts our value in our work, um, and especially to Hume Fogg and just like high achieving students in general. Oh my God, rest. Like you don't need to die in a metaphorical Amazon factory in a tornado. Like that's, that's fucked up. That's no. Yeah. Um, it's, it is not allowing ourselves to be exploited by a society that defines who we are by what we produce, but just being and taking a second to be like, I'm alive. I'm, I'm skipping down this silly little sidewalk. And yeah, no, I, I think that's beautiful. And everything about this conversation has been so beautiful. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, and yeah, I hope you enjoyed it.